God sent a gift to the world in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. With Jesus comes the forgiveness of sins, the credit to us of all His righteousness, the eternal shepherding care of our souls, and the certain fulfillment of all God's promises which find their yes and amen in Christ alone. Jesus has brought the kingdom of God into our world in His person. But gifts cannot be claimed. Gifts can only be received. After spending an entire night in prayer in the middle of Luke 6, Jesus came down off the mountain to the level plain around it and called the twelve apostles to Himself out of this larger crowd of disciples that were following Him by this time. Jesus is laying the foundation in Luke's Gospel here in chapter 6 of the church. He is demonstrating with His signs and miracles Jesus is and proclaiming with His preaching that He is indeed the Messiah that God has sent into the world keeping the promise that Jesus said He was fulfilling back in Luke chapter 4. Look down with me if you would in chapter 6 here to verse 17. And He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of His disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear Him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch Him for power came out from Him and healed them all. Now, we might think that since Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God into the world, something so grand, that there would be a slightly different crowd that was following Him and hanging on His every word. But what's becoming clear is that the religious leaders in Israel, those that you would think would welcome the Son of God into the world, don't like Jesus. In fact, they hate Him. We know from verse 11 that they are going to plot to kill Him. And they will succeed in this by God's permission and providence. The kingdom of God that Jesus brings into the world is not what they thought or such as them thought the kingdom of God would be like when it showed up. And their rejection of Jesus and then this type of crowd's embracing of Jesus tells a deeply important story about humanity and our need for this Jesus. Verses 17 through 19, they're more than just an introduction to what in Luke is known as the Sermon on the Plain. In Matthew, it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the same place, the same sermon, but each author is trying to tell a different piece of this story. And so what Luke is doing is bringing Jesus down off the mountain to this plain where they were all gathered because Luke wants us to see that he's coming to us to build his church, to lay the foundation for his church. The kingdom of God that Jesus brings is something entirely different than what the world expects. And so this crowd provides the backdrop for those who live life in the kingdom. And what kind of life those that receive Jesus will have in a world where God's kingdom is hated by those that believe themselves to be sufficient. This sermon from Jesus tells us who the church is how they are called to live as citizens of His kingdom, and just how radically different that is from the kingdom of this earth. The good news of Jesus is for the poor in spirit, not the confident. The kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God that comes in Jesus, is for those with hands open to receive it. These are they who make up His church. And so He begins, we pick it up in verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. 
Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Jesus begins by teaching what we call the Beatitudes, these descriptors of those who are blessed by God in this world, even though they are poor, in verse 20. Poor in spirit, Matthew says. This is not a list of commands here, is it? That's the first thing we need to notice. These aren't commands. These aren't telling you what to do. They aren't giving you a list of things to try to become if you want to be blessed by God. We, we want to spend the majority of our time in these first couple of verses because this is where everything in this text flows out of that first sentence. Blessed are the poor. What does Jesus mean by the poor? This is simply what Jesus says His disciples are. This is how we are to think of ourselves because this is how Jesus sees us. Because we are this, Jesus says we are blessed by God. The kingdom of God is something we didn't deserve We never could have expected, partly because it goes against everything normal, everything that we usually expect because of the way our world works. And so since it's a gift, it can only be received. And again, you can't receive a gift if your hands are full. What do you give to rich people? What do you give to people that have everything? So blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who have a mindset that makes them willing to listen, because that's the key here, that's going to become apparent in the last section. Blessed are those who have a mindset that makes them willing to listen when they hear the Word of God, when they hear that Christ has come to give salvation, not to accept payment for it. What Jesus is describing here is the mindset of those God blesses. They are poor in spirit. They're the kind of poor we read about in the Psalms, for example. The quiet in the land, the oppressed These are the ones that would never think they are in the kingdom of God or that the world would never think are in the kingdom of God. Unlike the self-assured Pharisees who believe they were its only citizens. The people blessed by God are the poor, sometimes literally materially poor, sometimes literally physically hungry. But those that know their moral righteousness account is also overdrawn. Poor like that also. Hungry like that also. So rather than believing themselves to be full of what they need, for example, they're hungry, as Matthew will clarify, for righteousness. They were the ones who often had reason or have reason to cry, to weep, to mourn over the suffering they endure, the injustices they face, let alone their own struggles every day with the old Adam and sinfulness that makes us poor, makes us poor in spirit and These are the ones Jesus praises as blessed. How exactly? Well, if you define blessed how the world defines it, Jesus sounds crazy here. We shouldn't understand anything about Jesus as the world defines things, as we naturally define things, or He won't make any sense. To realize we are so poor that we have nothing to offer God, to realize we're so needy of His gifts of forgiveness and righteousness, to not lie to ourselves about this world, that it does hold the key to our satisfaction, that we have it within us to to make the world our oyster, right? No, it's 
to literally be unable to kid ourselves about its futility and frustration and pain. Blessed are you who don't know what to make of this world and don't know what to make of your life in it because it's so difficult and works against you all the time. God wove that into creation, subjected the world to futility. If you don't feel it, you aren't listening to him. If everything is, if it's all, you know, give and take for you, that if I do good, I'll be blessed. If I do bad, I'll be cursed. You think you are rich. It doesn't work that way. It's never worked that way. And for those of us that see the world like that, that if I do this, this, and this, everything will go fine. You can't hear Jesus here. It's to be blessed by God to be unable to kid yourselves about how hard life in this world is. The knowledge that this world does not have what we need to be whole, to realize it never works, that's a blessing from God. Because the last thing a Christian needs to do is think, I can be okay here. It's way better than trying to make something satisfy you that is passing away and never can. Our joy is not a fake smile in our pain. That's not what Christian joy is. It's not even some sense of happiness necessarily as we normally understand it. The joy of the blessed poor is the knowledge that our reward comes later. We bank on receiving nothing now. Peace, wholeness, satisfaction, joy, those things come later. We don't expect them now. Right now, those who are blessed by God are what? They're poor. Right now, those who are blessed by God do what? They weep. They mourn. They feel the groaning of creation in their own lives. But we know that since Jesus has brought the kingdom, we will not remain in that impoverished state. It's temporary. The question is, what are you now before God? Are you poor or are you rich? has very little to do often with money. Verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. Right? Instead of persecute you, which is what they did to God's true prophets. There in verse 23. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets becomes more apparent in these verses just exactly what it means to be poor. As Jesus defines it, to be poor in this world means you live on account of the Son of Man. Right? That, that is, you, you've put all your chips on Jesus for everything, to get everything. You've said goodbye to the world as the source of your life and stability. You're poor to the world. You're rich to Jesus. That's being rich later. That's what Richness is to Jesus. If we're rich now or want to be rich now, we'll hear the the Beatitudes will be very frustrating because they won't match up with our lives. Right? We'll hear the Beatitudes and think, well, who wants a life like that? Right? That's, that's, can't get anybody to sign up for that. I'm not going to be a loser. I'm not going to be needy and desperate my whole life and waiting for the reward to come in the future. That's ridiculous. I'm an overcomer. Or maybe I can accomplish great things for God. I'm not going to resign myself to this life of spiritual poverty. Don't remind me of my sinfulness all the time. Don't remind me of my weakness all the time and of my bankruptcy before God. Tony, it's so pessimistic. 
Blessed are those that make something of themselves spiritually. Then when and how are you poor? When do you look like what Jesus is describing here? Jesus is contrasting the mindset of his disciples from those who are not in verses 20 to 26. That's what he's doing. Those who want it all now that are against Jesus and his disciples, right? They're like the Pharisees who reject their need for Jesus. In verses 24 to 26, these are confident, accomplished, self-assured people who not only believe you can get it all now, they often have it all now. It's a matter of expectation, of mindset. Look at verse 26. These are the people that take the approval and acceptance of the world as their blessing. As the proof that they are blessed by God. Because the world thinks highly of them. Other people think something of them. So they're rich now. They have their reward now. Jesus says to such people, Woe to you. Woe is a curse. It's a pronouncement of condemnation. It's judgment. There's a mindset among the disciples of Jesus that frees them from needing to have it all now, whatever your all is, right? Money, respect, comfort, stability, perfection, whatever it is. Jesus is building the case here that we will build upon our own poverty or we will build our lives on ourselves, our belief in ourselves, our confidence, our desires, That's the real difference. Our mindset between disciples of Jesus and the citizens of the world. What do we expect this world to give us? What do we want Jesus to provide for us? What do we demand of ourselves? Because the poor in spirit do all things on account of the Son of Man, while the rich in spirit do all things on account of themselves. As we'll see at the end of the sermon, again, what Jesus is driving at is to reveal what we're all building our lives on. Is it his word to us and about us, or is it our word about ourselves? That's what makes us poor or rich in God's reckoning. And which of those two does God consider blessed? Jesus reveals a perspective, a way of life in these next verses that literally lays out for us what it looks like to see ourselves as poor before God and fully dependent on Jesus and what it looks like to be rich with self-dependence. There's life in the kingdom where there is peace and love and forgiveness and faith. And there's life outside of it where there is hatred and contempt and judgment and cold reciprocity and fake righteousness. Verse 27. But I say to you who hear, right? That's the key. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies. 
and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. See, the focus is future. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Now, very important, I think, nowadays. There's a kind of a wing of evangelicalism in America that would take a text like this and say this is how governments are supposed to act. Jesus is laying out a standard of governments here. And so governments need to act like this. And societies need to act like this. And I think that, for one, would take away all of its meaning. Jesus is not talking about how to build a society, how to run a government, how to get law in order. In fact, law has nothing to do with life in the kingdom. Building our lives on the law will make us the opposite of what Jesus is teaching here. He's proving that. If governments tried to run societies by these principles, there would be total chaos and suffering. He stole my car. Let him have it. That's not the way you write law to run a society. They murdered my mom. Oh, oh well. Forgive them, love them. There's nothing we can be... This is not talking about society. This is Jesus talking to his disciples about how they are to treat those who persecute and oppress them because they are his disciples. That's the context. He's describing the lives of those who are persecuted and marginalized and poor on account of the Son of Man in a world that hates them. This is how disciples of Jesus are called to respond when the world hates them and oppresses them. Say, is God crazy? Who do you and I know that did this very thing when they came to him, unjustly arrested him, unjustly accused him, beat him, took everything from him, murdered him. What did he do? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is a call to be like Jesus when the world, even sanctioned by the state, hates us. And would take from us and hurt us. And again, when you're meant to feel the weight of that, these are commands. God, how can I act like that? We don't act like that. We revolted over like a 2% tax in the 18th century. You know what our tax rate is today and we're not revolting? I mean, it's crazy, right? We, we don't want to live like this. We, we, we don't want to be that poor, that marginalized. God help us. How do we obey His command? See that, you, beloved, do you see? That's why we make Christianity a matter of these lists and rules that we make that we can follow. This is what Christian looks like. No, this is what Christian looks like. This is where you really see it. Anybody can be moral. Anybody, especially if they think they get rewarded for it now. To live like this takes a mindset we are that is completely alien to us. After all, Jesus goes on to say, what of the kingdom is present in doing what is normal and expected in the world? Notice the difference beginning in verse 32. In a world built on the law, on give and take, on reciprocity, everybody loves those who love them. 
you hate those that hate you. It's pretty simple, right? That's the world. It's pretty simple. And in some ways, it has to work that way, right? You do good by me, I'll do good by you. There, there's a standard of law in the world. You, you need law where there's no uh, righteousness, where there's no godliness. You need to have the law because if not, people will murder and steal and they do it anyway with the law. It's just the law holds most people back from doing the things they want to do because they don't want the ability to do what they want taken from them. Are you and I citizens of that world or of the kingdom? You could say, well, both. Yes, but do we live on account of the Son of Man or on account of ourselves? Even the world can build relationships on back and forth and fair. Right? The disciple of Jesus, here, here's where the rub comes. The disciple of Jesus doesn't need the world to meet any of our needs. We don't need the world to give us justice. We don't need the world to give us money. We don't need the world to give us stability. We don't need the world to give us hope. And so we're completely out of the game. We live as citizens. We obey the law out of respect and worship of our Lord, but we don't need anything from society. We don't demand anything from others. All right, remember, what's true about us? We're poor now. We weep and mourn now. We are persecuted now. So we demand nothing. We demand nothing. Even from those that take from us. Verse 35. Look at that. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be called sons of the Most High, for He is kind. The Most High is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Beloved, let's ask ourselves. I'm asking myself too because I already know the answer. Are you kind to ungrateful people? Right? No. No, we aren't kind. If you're ungrateful, you don't get from me. So again, I'm going to have to make Christianity about another standard. Not this one. Can you imagine a community that lived by Luke 6, 35 and 36? It's, it's here. It's on the earth. It's called the church. That's what we're supposed to be like to each other. Because in here, what do we what would we demand from another? Do you, do you see how worldly it is to demand from your brothers and sisters in Christ? To, to define relationships and kindness and love based on all the same things the world does. To make it give and take. To make it back and forth, tit for tat, whatever you want to call it. You do for me, I'll do for you. You don't do for me, I'm not doing for you. That's out there. That's how they live. They have to live that way. They have no hope but today. You and I are different. We can be poor now. We need nothing. That's why this is the crowd where Jesus states all these things. They are visibly what we all are spiritually. Poor. Needy. With them, it's obvious. Jesus wants us all to understand that that's what we look like. We don't have the capital to live like this. 
This is what the church is supposed to be like. Now, why is the church supposed to be like this? Why are this, why are the citizens of the kingdom supposed to be like this? Is because this is somehow more moral on a scale? It's not about that. It is moral, but it isn't about that. Why would we act like this? Is it because God is cruel and capricious about suffering and doesn't realize what He's asking of us? No. We are called to live like this because He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Because He loves His enemies. Loves them. Demonstrated and proven. He loves them. He was loving them while they were pounding nails in His hands. Literally. We are merciful even when the law demands justice because God is merciful. I don't have the story. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I do, I do want to move here. But I, I, there was a, a, I listened to a podcast and they were talking about a, a book that a, a, a parents, their son, uh, went overseas to live, was, uh, I believe, was murdered horribly. Long story short, she came to love this man that had murdered her son. She began to talk to him and pray for him by name. That God had, Jesus had died to forgive him of his sins also. And eventually, they became friends. He's still in prison for his crime, but they're friends. Like, it, And I'm not even doing the story justice. It was so moving and shocking, it was beyond belief. And it, look, it, it, it's not about walking away from this text today and saying, okay, Lord, I need to do this, and I need to do this, and I need to do this. I think what has happened, this is buckshot. Okay? I think that mainly what Jesus is doing is not getting you and I to do a list and to do math on how we love our enemies. Do I think he's saying, do you realize what it is to be so poor spiritually that the only hope you have is to benefit from my mercy on you? And I think this is how we are truly transformed. It has to be the gospel. Remember, the law does not produce the righteousness God requires. I can't make you more righteous by giving you more rules. What makes us holy? What makes us righteous before God? The death of Christ for us. His resurrection for us. I must give you that. I must give myself that. Or we will not transform. We'll transform as rich people transform. Oh, I can get this. I want, I need to do this. I can get this. I need to do that. We're poor. We're, we're not we don't have any money. We don't have anything to contribute. We stay poor. We hear the word. We grow by the word. We, we have nothing. Just imagine a community like this. Is that your relationship with the church? Is that what you feel like the community of God's sons and daughters on the earth is like? Nobody hates one another. Nobody demands from each other. It's just... Everybody's so loving and merciful, you can barely get anything done because everybody wants to defer. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Again, I'm not, I'm not going to list out all the implications and exceptions and qualifications and all that. And Don't do that, right? Well, does that mean if somebody punches me, I can't defend myself? That's not the point of the text. I hope you do defend yourself. Right? But that, that's, that's not the point of the text. The, the point of the text is God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And if He is like that, how should I be? You just, that's the Word. You just let it come in. And you receive it. And you pray. 
And you ask the Spirit to help you. You don't set out to try and do it. You won't. I've never met somebody that takes a slap and says, all right, now do this one. Right? I've never seen it. I've never done that. None of us probably obeys this text anyway. Right? Not down to the letter. There's no way. When we are hurt, offended, hated, mistreated, this text is probably kept somewhere in our deepest memories, locked away. Surely we can't be expected to lose like this, to take it on the chin like that. What, you like Jesus did? Like Jesus did, beloved, we are not above our Master. Do you see, what do we think we deserve here? How do we think we should be treated? How do we look at other people and what they can do for us? This is the difference between being poor and being rich in spirit. Either I've given it all away and Christ is my all and therefore I need nothing, demand nothing, anything from anyone. Or I still am trying to hold on to this world giving me something that I apparently believe Jesus is not giving me. So I have it. Teach me how to use it. Then you're not poor. God have mercy on us. Help us. We are not poor in spirit. As poor in spirit as we should be. And we are called to be. We are commanded to be. As he explains it here in these further verses. Life in the kingdom is built on the fact that God has been kind to us even though we're generally ungrateful, often unkind, sometimes even evil people. And God has been kind to us. I know that as Christians we want to believe that we're better than that, but we aren't. And we shouldn't think so. If we are, we shouldn't know it. The minute we think of ourselves as having something, that's the minute we become demanding about what we deserve because of it. And we can't live like that. Blessed are the poor. He's made us citizens of His kingdom because He is merciful, not because we are good. God is asking nothing improper of us when He asks us only that which He Himself has given and done. To receive Jesus is to receive the mercy of God incarnate. So are we building our lives on this world or on the cold principle of you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours? That's the world. That's not the kingdom. Verse 37. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. It's funny, we take that and make it about our offerings. It's very interesting. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher. So, again, who is Jesus talking to? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Wow. 
Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? It's very nice. Brother, shall I take out the speck that is in your eye while you're pushing away the giant log in our own eye? You hypocrite. That's not very nice, Jesus. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. This is life in the kingdom. Jesus tells us what we look like when we live in light of our poverty, according to verses 35 and 36. The mercy of God cuts our demanding judgmentalism out at the knees. We Christians can get so unmerciful and become so condemning and unforgiving and angry at those who rightly deserve God's judgment. No question. Yes, they do. So do we. Salvation doesn't change the fact that technically speaking, as the law is concerned, we are condemned. God is making a pronouncement about us based on Christ. We haven't become something not deserving of judgment. God has made us something not deserving of judgment. He is the judge. I don't need to. He will rectify. I don't need to. He will settle accounts. I don't have to do it for him. You and I are therefore free because God will take care of everything. Because God is rich. Because God has all the resources. Because God is sovereign. Because God is judge. He will take care of it. Therefore, you and I, we're free to not judge and not condemn. We're free to actually forgive and not worry about whether or not justice will be served. We're free to give even if we aren't going to get back. Do we see? Don't live by the law in verse 38. Listen to the end of verse 38. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. The context here is not about you and I getting more. The context is judgment and condemnation and unforgiveness and selfishness. Is that how you want to be judged by God? Jesus is asking, do you want Him to judge you with the measure with which you have judged others? Or do you want Him to be merciful to you? That's how the rich in spirit think. I will be measured by the measure I use. Therefore, I'm going to do the best that I can. Right? You have to be a good person to go to heaven. Well, then I'm going to be a good person. That's how they live, because they have to have justice now. They have to have the reward now. It has to be even now. No, beloved, sometimes we lose. In fact, the church will always lose in the world. It's just that the gates of hell cannot defeat us. That's all. But we're always going to lose. We're always going to be marginalized and on the outside. And we're blessed in that state. We're blessed in that state. Why would we want the approval of the kingdoms of men? Why would we want them supplementing us and helping us? And man, the church should get out of all that. The church loses in this world. So we weep and mourn now. We lose now. We suffer now. So give up the fight to make the world surrender to the way you want it to be. Why? Because the true king is reigning. This is how he is causing things to be at this point in history. 
He will bring such a reversal that what we suffered will pale in comparison to what we've gained. We're called to live like this, to think like this as disciples of Jesus. We don't need to know all the particulars, right? We just all need to soften up a little bit. Right? Soften up a little bit. It would work wonders. Look, look, look at that parable in 39 to 42. The poor in spirit are simply more aware of the beam, that is their sin, in our own eye than the speck that is in our brother's eye. Now, does that mean that we've sinned all these great sins, so we have a beam in our eye, and our brothers haven't sinned that badly, and so they have a little speck in their eye, little bitty sins? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It's about perspective. It means when we're looking through the lens of our own spiritual poverty, and God's unending mercy for us in spite of it, our stuff tends to look like beams. And their stuff tends to look like specks because of how we see, because of what we think about ourselves. There is nothing easier in this world than to judge your fellow man. Nothing easier. And we aren't talking about this corny, ridiculous, well, the Bible says not to judge people, so I can do whatever I want. No. No. And that's not how the Bible says it at all. Jesus Jesus says, don't judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And there is a time to help your brother take the speck out of his own eye. It's when you know there's a beam in yours. That changes us. It makes us a certain kind of person. How the church needs such eyes. Right? The, the church has to have, we have to all know that we have a beam in our own eye. Or, or we can't be the church. If, if we don't, if we aren't like that, the church is just a bunch of blind, self-righteous, angry, bitter, tit-for-tat people leading a bunch of other blind, self-righteous, angry, bitter, tit-for-tat people around. And we're both going to fall into a ditch and not know that we're there and stay there and fight about it. And that won't say anything to the world about how God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Does this mean there's never a time to make a judgment call? No, it doesn't mean that. It just means everything, nothing comes through me that hasn't passed first through the fact that I know there's a beam in my eye. Beloved, that's, it's the world that doesn't look at itself before it judges. It's not the kingdom. Verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known, tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. He's still describing the poor. He's talking to his disciples. The world believes, and everybody I think naturally believes, that to be a good person, you have to do good things. What does Jesus say? Nobody can do good things unless they are good. Who does the Bible say is good? Nobody. 
So how in the world are we going to do good things? You see, it matters whether you see yourself as poor or rich. When I hear that I can produce nothing, do I know that I'm poor? And so I agree and say, God, help me. Or do I believe that, do I believe that I'm rich and say, oh, try me. You tell me what to do and I'll do good. Not if there isn't a good tree in you, you won't. The poor in spirit realize that God has to plant the tree of his righteousness in us if there's to be any good fruit coming out of us. So the poor in spirit read these commands and say, God, help me. Have mercy on me. I don't live like this. I I can't live like this. Plant in me your righteousness that I may bear good fruit, that I may obey you. Good fruit will come from the spirit God has given us when we accept him as a gift and not as assistant. Again, what is Jesus driving at in this sermon? What are you building your life on this morning? The poor in spirit build on the Son of Man. The rich in spirit build on themselves. Verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? He's going to answer that question. Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, That's the order. I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. There are people who use Jesus and Christianity to prop up themselves, to prop up their own self-justification project. They call Jesus Lord because they think it makes them look better than others. They are worshiping Jesus to benefit themselves in this world because this world is what they want. They want the approval of people in verse 26. But those that are poor enough in spirit to have room for the word in them, not crowding it out with their own self-confidence, they are the ones who hear the word. Hearing the word and doing the word should be two sides of the same coin. We cannot do the word until we hear the word because the word is a life-giving word. We need his word in us in order to produce. You and I have nothing. The word of God plants trees and makes them grow. The Word of God builds houses and makes them stand. The issue here isn't a doctrine of works or a matter of common ethics and humanity or a sum total of commandments and rules that a person learns from Jesus and then applies to oneself the whole time. The condition for being able to do is to hear, and only the poor can hear. If you get rich, you'll quit hearing. If you get full, there won't be any room to be a disciple who listens to Jesus and is constantly learning, never full of our own self-confidence. That's where we need to be. Disciples are listeners. They're not tellers. They are not the source of their own growth, but bear the fruit of God's word growing in them. 
That is what Jesus is teaching here. There is no doing without hearing because there are no naturally good trees. Jesus uses the picture here and He talks like it's completely fundamental. This is the foundation on which our whole Christian life and future rests. Right? He who hears and does is building upon the rock. He who does not do this has built upon the sand. How one has built will be revealed when the Lord comes. Jesus has preached that we have life by the law or by the gospel. We live as citizens of the world and our own self-righteousness and confidence or as citizens of His kingdom by His mercy and His kindness. Those are the ones that will do good. Those that hear the word. If we choose to live by the law as citizens of the world, getting all the money, power, respect, applause that we can, demanding all that we want, taking from others rather than giving, only loving and serving those who love and serve us because we are ungrateful and evil, self-righteously judging others as a bad tree who never bears fruit pleasing to God because we put faith in ourselves rather than in Him, we're building our house on the sand. And it will not stand in judgment. It will not stand. And when the King returns in all His glory, we'll be ruined and swept away. But if we live by the Gospel, poor in spirit, knowing our need, that Christ has forgiven us, therefore not demanding what we want from others, giving to others rather than always taking, Loving and serving those who cannot love and serve us because that's what God has done for us in Christ. Not judging others by the law because we know we won't stand if that same law were to be applied to us. Good trees who bear fruit pleasing to God because He's given us His Spirit. Then we've built our house on the rock. That is, we've heard and received the Word of God. We know we're poor in spirit. We're not sufficient or strong enough. We're hopeless and in need of Christ to raise us up, to make us grow, to give us life. And when the King returns in all His glory, we will not be shaken. We will not be moved. We will stand. You can only stand, beloved, if you're crippled now. You'll only have your reward if you're poor now. And again, remember, these are not things to try to achieve. It is agreeing with Jesus about who we actually are. That's what it means to hear and receive the Word of God. And the Spirit that is in you will cause good fruit to come out of you. And the more we know Christ, the more we know of His, our need for His forgiveness and His mercy on us and the gift of His righteousness, the more self-forgetful we will become. The more we will desire to obey. The more we will desire to be as close as we possibly can. Life in the kingdom is poverty now and everything later by His promise.